Happy New Year and welcome to the first Silmarillion Film Project of 2022. I am your co-host Dave Kale. I was uh, uh, mysteriously absent from the last <laughs> podcast of 2021, which was very, which kind of a bummer. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm back with a renewed resolve here in uh, January of 2022. Um, not, COVID hasn't beaten me down yet. <laughs> there we go. There Nor we go. has it beaten down uh, uh, my uh, co-host, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, or our special guest, one of our head writers, Marie Prosser. How are you, Marie? I'm well. Happy New Year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're great. We, are, we are excited we're, to follow up our last exciting discussion about necromancy and yeah, dead yeah, elves. Part two and... of necromancy. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. So we got to figure out what we're doing around the necromancy. Tonight is Aldrin's the day. Black magic. That's it. That's it. And today's the day when we're finally going to solve the Thuringwethel mystery. Um, we've enjoyed the character of Thuringwethel that we have developed to this point and the role that we've given her in the story. Um, but now we need to give her story uh, its conclusion. Um, and we got to figure that out, which means, of course, we need to look back and make sure that her whole story has uh, a decent arc because uh, so we, we need to probably go back to the beginning. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Quick announcements to begin. Um, uh, a couple things. First, a kind of a big thing actually. And that is a new thing that we are doing at uh, Signum, at the Mythgard Institute, actually, called Mythgard Miscellany. Let me, and this is, I wanted to emphasize this because this is of particular relevance, I think, to our film film community. Mythgard Miscellany is designed to be a whole separate, it's basically um, a, a curated place. We're going to be publishing bunches of stuff. Basically, we, we want so we have several different goals here. One goal is that we would love to hear more voices of more people on a wider variety of things. Um, our Mythgard community is really broad. Of course, so far, I, most of the Mythgard stuff is like me doing Tolkien stuff, right? Which is fun and all, um, but there's much more that can be done and a lot more that people would like to talk about. One of the other things that's really motivated us is over the years seeing so many, so much really good work that's being done, really cool, interesting stuff that just kind of happens. In, like, there's no showcase for it. Like, there's no place to kind of take it and let everybody see it, right? For instance, one obvious example of this is conference presentations, right? How many times over the last 10 years have I seen uh, seen or listened to an awesome co uh, um, a, a conference presentation at Myth Mood or one of our regional moods, and I've been sitting there saying, oh man, like, there are so many people who would be fascinated by this, but there's like the conference happens. It's really cool. Everybody involved in the conference enjoys it. And then there's no future. Like what now, what now what happens? Right. I mean, there is of course the possibility of taking something and maybe developing it into a paper that you could publish in a scholarly journal, but that's not the logical, you know, end goal for a lot of things that get presented at conferences. So anyway, Mythgard, that's another, just one example. But, of course, needless to say, there is a very great deal of creative stuff and awesome things that have happened in connection with the Silm Film Project, which I think would we would love to see and talk about. Because the idea of Mythgard Miscellany is that it can be genuinely miscellaneous. We're not just talking about 
publishing papers, though we could do that. We're not only just talking about like um, a, a, a visual, you know, a video presentation, though we can accept those too. Anything, music, uh, art, um, you know, as said, uh, you know, we have in the examples down here, if you, you know, I, if we scroll down here, yeah, to the, our community of contributors. Um, you know, a, a poem, a dance, a cake that you baked, whatever, like anything that you that is like cool and interesting that you think that other people um, would be interested in. Um, post it. Now, again, this is not going to be like a, a kind of a, a space where like anybody can post anything that they want. This is going to be a curated space. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to be looking through the submissions and we're going to be choosing, um, you know, to kind of present and publish the ones that we present and publish, um, which is going to make it, I think, a really, really fun space to watch uh, as well. So right now, this is a brand new initiative of ours. Uh, so the main thing is we're really looking for submissions. So we have, uh, um, and also we, we have um, sort of two different uh, kind of levels of submission. Um, there's community contributions, and then there's our uh, our experts. We're hoping to bring in, um, uh, you know, different kinds of experts to sort of chat or publish things on various stuff. We're approaching, uh, you know, movie people and authors and scholars and all kinds of people to come and, and, you know, present something. Um, but as I say, we're also looking for all kinds of things, uh, anything. Um, that folks want to want to submit. So, as I say, I know there's uh, film film was one of the first things that I thought of when, you know, we were talking about this internally and talking about like, you know, people who are doing really fascinating, creative work that's just kind of going out there and then nobody's seeing it. Right. I'm like, I know a place <laughs> where this happens quite a lot. So, um, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. I, you know, I, I don't know if we would necessarily do like script publication this way. We might do that in different ways, but especially I'm thinking, especially a lot of the art and stuff that's been done. Uh, oh man, like there would be uh, a really cool, uh, uh, potential, I think for a lot of that to be, uh, to be, to be done. So, um, uh, this is uh, the th main thing I wanted to bring to everybody's attention here today. Mythgard Miscellany. So just go to Mythgard.org, click on Mythgard Miscellany, uh, the, uh, the, this uh, menu up on top, and then scroll down. This is the link to the submission form here uh, under Community of Contributors. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Wheel of Time adaptation, uh, which was fascinating on several levels, both because a Robert Jordan adaptation, holy cow, who saw that coming? I mean... I know we've seen it coming for several years, but like five years ago, who saw that coming? And uh, um, but also, of course, watching Amazon Prime do uh, an epic serial adaptation of a high fantasy novel. I was kind of interested to see how that went um, and I uh, have to say kind of loved the Wheel of Time adaptation. Just just going to put that out there. I thought it was fascinating. Really well done in a lot of ways. Not perfect, but really well done. OK, so that's Mythgard Miscellany. Um, second, briefer, longer in text, but briefer in time uh, announcement here is our space program. We have announced our candidate modules for March. Uh, so if you would like to learn to write in Tengwar, read Old English, appreciate Chinese science fiction, perform Shakespeare, watch classic Japanese anime, or interpret ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, we have... Uh, the modules for you. All this and more coming up in March in our space program. So go to signumuniversity.org slash space and you can find uh, information on our space program and how that works. So just wanted to make sure 
that everybody was aware of the exciting opportunities. We're in our second month now of running our space modules. The January month we started December was our first set of modules. January is our second set of modules. Uh, it's uh, it's been it's been awesome. That uh, students and the uh, teachers who have been involved in that have just both been having an awesome time. Uh, my uh, my my oldest son is uh, doing the anime module now, uh, so he's he's graduated, you know, so he's in college now, so he's doing space, um, and uh, uh, he's he's uh, loving uh, getting the chance to talk about anime with folks. Um, anyway, so that's um. Uh, stuff that is happening at Signum. Lots of stuff happening at Signum. All right. Um, back to the map of Blair. Let's see. What's the first thing I noticed this time that I didn't notice before? <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, here it is. I, it's always something. It's literally always something. It's, I never look at this map without noticing a new thing. Today, it's Lanaiwen. I had totally forgotten the name of the body of water in the marshes of Nevrest. There we go. If anyone had asked me what that was, I would have been like, huh? So there it is. Linaiwen. Would have forgotten that. Um, so we will come back to this in reference if we need to, but we will start off by recalling that our primary theory, theater of action that we are discussing here is Tulsirian up here, right? Right in the pass. Um, and then, of course, uh, up here in Dorthonian with the Baron Hunt as well. That's also going to be relevant, especially as we begin to, we kind of touched on the question of Sauron's involvement uh, in that and, and uh, how that's going to happen. Um, but uh, we, will, we will see. So let's focus on Thurin Gwethel. Thurin Gwethel, as we have depicted her, for those of you who are new or whose uh, memory is as uh, bad as mine about what we've talked about previously, Thurin Gwethel, we have basically made Sauron's right-hand person, right? Um, there have been, you know, his his kind of posse, right? Uh, Sauron's inner ring uh, has been Draugluin, the father of werewolves, Tevildo, the lord of the evil cats, um, and Thurin Gwethel, the vampire, um, with, uh, like, uh, Shelob coming in as a contractor uh, on a couple occasions. Shelob and the spiders, though she's not exactly part of... She's not so much of a team player uh, as the others. Um, and uh, but, but for all those things, Thurin Gwethel has been his most... She, she's the one that we have depicted as his... Um, uh, um, his sort of intellectual equal, like she's the one that he schemes and plans with, basically. Um, uh, not just somebody who is merely a captain of his forces. Like, that's basically Draugluin has been, like, captain in the field, essentially, for a lot of uh, uh, for a lot of Sauron's initiatives. Um, and we saw Draugluin leading the anti-cavalry forces uh, in uh, the Dagor Bragalach there as well. Um, and that is true, J.J. I did call Tevildo the Lord of Evil Cats, uh, as if I were implying that there is also a subset of non-evil cats, um, which is harder to argue in Tolkien. Um, I don't think we have any examples of good cats in Tolkien's entire corpus. I'm, I'm trying to think, even of like his non-Middle Earth stuff, I don't think we get any non-evil cats, do we? There's the cat in the poem who's dreaming the cat poem yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's not a particularly evil cat it's not a particularly evil cat even though its dreams are about like hunting and killing men 
<laughs> so, but, no. but, but yeah, it was a man eater in like a former life, but, uh, but, but, uh, but still, I agree. It's, um, it is, it is. That is, I, I, I agree that the, the cat on the mat poem is, uh, probably the most benign uh, cat, uh, in, uh, in, in Tolkien's entire imagination. Um, but, um, Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so, sorry, sorry to offend cat people, but hey, like Tolkien is so obviously a dog person. They're just like, is really no, no, no room for debate on this subject. Um, nope. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's just the way it is. Okay, but Thorin Gwethel, her primary role, apart from being Sauron's confidant and sort of second in command and sounding board and all that kind of thing, advisor, um, has been spy. Right, we have seen her trans. She's you know transformed into a bat back and forth. Now we did a thing with her cloak, right, where she has this like bat cloak that she wears, um, and she turns herself into a vampire. And the you know so her when she turns herself into like the you know very large vampire bat, um, she and of course we do need to emphasize vampire equals vampire bat. Like that's just the word they used for vampire bat. Um, uh, 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 I mean, as I, I have argued before, you can see even Dracula in Dracula, uh, in the Dracula book, uses the word vampire like that. Like you see before uh, people in England, when Dracula arrives, before they know anything about Dracula or what's going on with this undead creature, which is totally outside their worldview, um, they use the word vampire casually, um, meaning vampire bat. Um, uh, uh, so it's pretty clear that that's what Tolkien meant. Um, we see the vampire bats in The Hobbit as well um, that fix themselves upon the stricken uh, on the battlefield uh, and everything, which is pretty creepy. Not really children's book material at that point, as I've argued before. But, um, uh, and he uses the word there too, doesn't it? fasten themselves vampire-like upon the stricken, if I'm remembering correctly, the line in The Hobbit. I think that's yes. how the line goes, yeah. 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 Yep. Um, anyway, um, now JJ asks the really important question, um, will Thurin Gwethel speak with a Romanian accent? Uh, which I think, I mean, isn't that... Don't you get sued if you have a vampire who does not speak in a Romanian? I mean, isn't there like some kind of legal consortium out there who will hunt you down if you have a vampire who does not speak with a Romanian accent? I thought that was obligatory. Um, may, are we going to risk that? I, I don't know, but um, um, not worth it. Too big a risk. It's, exactly right. I mean, I, I don't think we can. I mean, it's one thing to do like this entire theoretical production. Um, you know, and risk the attention of the Tolkien estate, but um, but the you know vampire with Romanian accents uh, lobby is even scarier. Um, yeah, they all, they're very litigious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to be cautious. Um, but she's been a spy, right? When she's been transforming, something that we had, for instance, this was season four, right? That uh, episode that we started with the whole, like, uh, you know, helicopter shot, right? Flying around and say, it was when we were doing a Balerian in its realms, right? And showing all the different places where the kings were building their fortresses and everything. And um, it was not apparent to the viewer that they were seeing, but they were basically, it was like Thurin Gwethelcam, um, you know, 
vampire cam uh, all the way through most of the episode, though that was only revealed at the very end, right? When we kind of panned back finally and saw that it was Thurin Grethel uh, flying around and spying on folks. Um, And she has been very successful as a spy. So successful, and this is something that was that uh, was raised in the discussion boards, that none of the good guys know that she exists, right? I mean, she's she's interacted like we had, you know, her big moment so far has been her deception of Kierden the Shipwright, right? When she masqueraded uh, as um, uh, one of the one of the Noldor, right? She masqueraded as one of the Noldor. Um, and pretended to let slip the business about the kin slaying, right? And, uh, uh, and, and you know, in confidence to Kyrdan. And then she vanished after that. And that's when, that's how, you know, Kyrdan had his, he had his suspicions already. And that's how his suspicions got confirmed. She was one of the ones who ferreted out the secret of the kin slaying in the first place. Because remember, none of the bad guys knew about the kin slaying. They had to figure it out too. Um, uh, so Thorin Grethel was instrumental first in discovering about the kinslaying and then in um, uh, contriving to spill the beans to Círdan in a way that he wouldn't suspect so that he could then go and start trouble with Thingol as, uh, as Sauron had planned. Um, but again, none... Um, none of the good guys... No, if you ask the good guys, like... They know who Sauron is, especially now that he's taken Tulsirian, right? He's come out in 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 the open. But even without that, he's he's known, right? Though they don't know much about him. At the risk of getting sidetracked, what do they know about Sauron? How has Sauron interacted with? We know we've, he's interacted with prisoners, of course, but like people who survived and lived to tell the tale. So the first role that Sauron has with the Noldor and Beleriand is to capture Mithros uh, after the death of Feanor. So Right. Oh, right. He shows up at the, the, the Parley. He's the one who's mm-hmm. leaving the Parley, right? Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty so public. It was. Almost everybody who was there died who wasn't Mithros. But Mithros so, didn't, so... Yeah. But Mithros didn't, and he escaped right. and got back. So Mithros personally knows Sauron in that capacity. Yes. And has therefore passed that information on. As far as whether or not he had the name Sauron at that time, that's another right. question that's been right. a little bit more open. But they know who he is. Right, right. They know and who he is. And therefore, when he, when Sauron wants to go among the elves, he has to go in disguise. Right. As we had him and Thorin Grethel both doing at the Marathadothad um, mm-hmm. way back again, season four. Mm-hmm. Four, right? Yeah, it was four. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yes. Okay. Um, so for the majority of folks, Sauron's involvement is a rumor. Um, Gothmog, of course, also has an issue where a significant percentage of the name characters who see him have perished, but it's not the same. Right? I mean, he's a, he, he's a spectacle on the battlefield, right? So many people have seen him from a distance, and so long as they saw him from a sufficiently... <laughs> A sufficient distance, they have survived to tell the tale. So they know about the the captain, the Balrogs, and the captain of the Balrogs, um, and that he is often leading the uh, the you know the orc forces into battle, and that it's really bad news uh, when he does. Even of course, the sons of Fanor would know him from the death of Fanor. Uh, uh, that would have been certainly a memorable meeting with Gothmog in their minds. So, um, lots of opportunity, and I wonder probably. 
do you think probably Finrod knows? Like, that Gothmog killed his brothers? Do you think he would know that? Or have heard tales from survivors? Or even telepathically intuited it? Or something? Right. Finrod definitely experienced the death of his brothers in the moment when it happened. So, the question is, was it just a oh no, they're in pain and then they suddenly died? Or did he like see through their eyes as they were dying? Or like we didn't right. necessarily establish how close that telepathic connection is. Right, yeah, and that's what I was kinda wondering. But I think one way or another, I mean there were some people who did survive from that battle, so one way or another I think we can count on the fact that Finrod knows that it was Gothmog who killed and then therefore I mean, that all of the elves know. Um so that with Fingon it's going to be done. Like there's going to be there's going to, there's going to be uh, precedent about this. Um, Gothmog as slayer of Noldoran princes is going to be uh, um, uh, a headline. But my point is that Sauron is going to be a much lesser headline, um, mm-hmm. by and large. Right? He is a much lower profile figure, both figuratively and literally, um, and but. Mithros will know him, and I would think from Mithros's interactions with him, he himself, Mithros himself, um, and through him the other lords of the Noldor, um, would have a sense that he was not just some chump, right? That he was an important lieutenant of Morgoths, um, and possibly even have been able to figure out, or at least kind of um, guess, um, that he's kind of part of the brains behind the Morgoth uh, operation, and very different, therefore, in his role uh, from Gothmog. So when Sauron steps out of the shadows and takes Tolsirion, he would be known by reputation, but his reputation would both very greatly increase and change at that time, right? Um, and that's where I think I want to kind of come at that question from that angle. I'm, I'm building up to it this way, because when we think about Sauron establishing his rule here, right, in large part, yeah, we can think about it from his side and we need to think about it from his side. But I want to make sure we're keeping the context in mind. This is his coming out party to the good guys, really. I mean, he has interacted openly with very few good guys. Thorin Grethel has uh, uh, interacted openly with zero good guys. Nobody knows she exists. And I agree that this is one of the challenges that we have in this uh, episode, because there is no good guy who is going to see Thorin Gwethel and be like, you! <laughs> you must pay for all that you have done! Like, she's done a bunch of things, but they don't know it. Um, they wouldn't recognize... I mean, they might look at her and be like, you look creepy and probably evil, right? I should maybe do something about that, but it's not going to be personal. They're not going to have any idea, right? Nobody has... None of the good guys have any animosity towards her. Um, which means, I think that that, um, that kind of closes some doors for us in trying to figure out her story, right? Um, there's no question of needing closure on an arc with somebody else, with the potential exception of Kierden, right? I mean, there was some... He didn't realize what was happening there, but we know there was some stuff between her and Kierden. Um, 
but we can't bring Kierden in to this, and there's not enough. He I, he still is living in ignorance about that anyway, so it's hardly satisfying in any case. Um, but um, uh, okay, anyway, um, so we have some work to do here to figure this out. So let's 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 start at the beginning. Who is Thorin Gwethel? When Thorin Gwethel enters Arda, who is she? And what is she doing? She is a Maya, right? Yeah. Who, who's? Seems like she has to be. Seems like she has to be. Who's Maya? There was some discussion on the boards as to who she was originally affiliated with. And um, one suggestion was Niena, uh, mm-hmm. especially based on some of the earlier conceptions of Niena with her house with bat wings in the roof and everything. <laughs> there are um, some connections there, yeah. And then um, maybe Ormandos, even. Yeah. Since and just to, for, for people... And Mandos knows everything. Right, right, yeah. For, 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 for people who don't know about this, um, the, the, the first draft of, uh, of Niena... Marie, do you remember her name? The version of Is her it, name? Uh, F-U-I... Oui. Oh, Fui. Fui, yes, Fui, exactly. Uh, Fui was her original name. Um, she was basically the queen of the underworld, basically. She was, um, uh, she was like Mrs. Mandos, and she was very much a queen of the dead figure. Um, now, her character changes a great deal. Um, so by the time we get to modern-day Niena, right, um, she's a long way from the queen of the dead batwing decor figure that we get in the Book of Lost Tales, Volume 1. Um, but, um, uh, Bjarne Sonner, I like the idea of Vire. Vire was another one that I was thinking. Another candidate, I think, is a strong candidate, um, is, uh, is Irmo, actually, Lorien, um, because of the, the dreams thing, right? Especially, I'm thinking about the whole, um, the whole Dracula homage thing we did with, um, Anil and her sort of entering his chamber by night and, and uh, uh, you know, sort of stealing his dreams and thoughts out of his head and, and you know, uh, conditioning him and stuff. That as, like, a warped dream vision kind of thing, like taking the, the kind of dream vision connection um, that a messenger of Lorien might have and warping and twisting that into something sort of parasitic and controlling seems to me to work pretty well. Yeah, I know we had talked a little earlier about having Glarung maybe originally have been one of Irma's people as well, so that Mm -hmm. would be an interesting connection that we'll never do anything with, because we're going to... (laughs) Right, and of course we know that Melian was one of Irma's people, so we've got Irma's Maya all over, so on the one hand that might be an argument against it, I mean like, you know, but... Having Thorin Gwethel be the kind of anti-Melian figure is a little bit interesting, actually. Um, yeah, especially yeah. with the Luthien connection, right? When, like, um, I mean, I'm not saying we do something really corny, like, you know, she meets her anti-mom, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, we, that we, do, we do, like, it's like, you know, your evil mother figure, you know, who is, uh, like, the wicked stepmother or whatever. Like, I, it's, I, you know, obviously, I'm not saying we go uh, sort of as far as that. But having the two of them... Um, being sort of, um, uh, you know, contraries to each other. Um, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, you just go all in on the connection and make her Melian's sister or something. 
Right. <laughs> just really wanted to go. Right, right. Hey, uh, so uh, Nick had a suggestion here uh, in the chat. So Nick's not able to join us uh, in video here this week, but he's in the chat and was saying that um, we had talked about the possibility of having Mandos appear to the fallen in Dorthonian, the, the summons, right, the summons of Mandos, when the, sp- when the spirits of the slain uh, elves are summoned uh, to return to Mandos. Um, what if... Thuringuethel had been one of those like reap like, like a reaper spirit right whose job was to like um, mm-hmm. a sort of reaper slash like mercury spirit like, to guide the spirits to the un- you know to the afterlife essential kind of thing mm-hmm. right um, uh, and that so that her role would be kind of like a a, a, a twisting of that um, associating way, her yeah. with Mandos is interesting too yeah and that you know that 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 provides like a um, Let's see. Uh, lay some groundwork for like how does how does Sauron get into this business, the, right? The necromancy business, um, right? Right. Having having Thuringwethel play a role in introducing him to some of those uh, concepts or abilities. Yeah, that at the very least he would be like it would be kind of more on his radar screen, right? This yeah. whole like uh, you know the issue of uh, of the spirits uh-huh. of the dead. I mean the the this battle here. Um, there have been dead elves before. I mean, there have been other battles before in which elves have been killed, obviously, but more of them in this battle than ever before. I mean, this is the largest number, uh, uh, certainly, of this of, of Noldor slain um, uh, that we've had. Um, but way, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I like the. I think I like Mandos and Ermo better, uh, a, a better choices than Nienna. However. I do real. I think it would be. I think we should look for an opportunity to have uh, one of Nienna's Maiar be be appear as in some kind of villainous role because the idea of like a villainous version of Nienna seems very interesting. It is, yeah. Like, like taking the taking the the person who's sort of the aspect of like compassion uh, and twisting that somehow. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where the right place to use that is. And I don't know that, I don't think Thurn Gwethel is it, but I, I think that would be cool. I'm tempted to say retroactively to Vildo. Mm. The tormentor of the living, like the one who delights yes. in causing pain. Um, yes. I mean, that was his primary characteristic, that he was a torturer, as I see Nick was just uh, reminding in, in a discussion in the chat there as well. Um, that would be one way that you could twist the pity of Nienna right now. It's a fairly simplistic twisting of the pity. I mean, I think we could probably do better than that. Uh, come up with something kind of deeper and more profound. Um, what would be not just like the, 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 the mirror opposite, right. Of pity, but, um, you know, a more, uh, uh, more subtle twisting and corruption of it. Not to steer us off too far off our path, but, uh, (laughs) Glauron also could be, would be an interesting opportunity there. So, yeah, we didn't really. It's it's actually fascinating to me that I don't think we've ever asked this question before, have we? Of Sauron's there, posse about Thuringwethel, like about any of yeah. them. Yeah, true. Yeah, no, like it, where, where know, they came, came from. Up, it was an interesting yeah. moment of like, wait a minute. Yeah, where did these all come from? Yeah, because the way yeah. the way he obtained his posse is they were already followers of Morgoth. Right at the time of the the first war, right. So right. he's catching them from Morgoth, but where did they come from before that? Were they originally Morgoth's people, or were they from somewhere else? And that's not mm-hmm. clear. 
Right. Right. Um, I have one another suggestion on the boards was to make Theron Gwethel unaffiliated. If her main characteristic is she likes to hunt out secrets, that maybe she was interested in what all the Valar were up to and so never really like picked one. Right. So make her a free agent in the uh, Ungoliant line, but more, uh, but smaller. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I don't know that we have to spell this out or show it on screen. Um, the reason I, the reason I wanted to start here with Thurin Gwethel is that I feel like we're, I think that how we kill her and what would be a fitting end for her is only going to make sense if we can really first decide what her whole arc is, right? I think that once we decide what the whole rest of her arc is, the ending is going to be a lot easier to come up. Cause right now, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I have no idea. I mean, there's some basic parameters, right? I mean, if somebody just said at the very beginning of this episode, how does Thurin Gwethel die and why? Right. I would have been like, well, I think she's got to die at Tolsirian. There are some other opportunities. Right. I mean, I know people were suggesting some kind of cool thing like she's killed in Dorthonian and, uh, uh, you know, Baron mails her pelt back home to, to Sauron. And stuff. like that could work and it could be cool. Um, but I think she should die at Tolsirian. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, that she has to die at like at the same time as the as the construction and the, the destruction sorry of Tolsirian. um indeed if she had di- if she dies a little bit earlier than that it would help to explain why in the published story her death isn't narrated right because it's not part of that story um there's a reason why uh luthien is just like hey look a pelt right you know like, like you know here's a here's a Here's a bad hame nobody's using anymore, right? I think I'll I think I'll take that. Um, um, if, if she had died beforehand, it would it would help to explain that rather than um, necessarily having to imagine that Luthien is going to like rip her bat hame off off of her, you know, uh, cooling corpse. Basically, I, I don't think it necessarily has to go down that way. Um, um, so again, it doesn't really have to be a like, you know duel between Luthien and Thorin Gwethel, you know, like some kind of personal grudge match between them. But anyway, like I said, I can think of lots of possible ideas, but I don't find any of them compelling. Like, I I just, I don't, there's nothing in any of them to necessarily recommend one over the other. So, this is why I want to go back. Let's, 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 let's make her story, and then once we have her story, then we'll have something to measure (laughs) <laughs> the other possibilities against, right? And see what fits best. So, okay. So what do we think? Uh, do we want to go with Namo, Irmo? The Irmo mom thing, kind of cool, but that makes it very directly connected to Luthien, which might we don't necessarily need. Um, I kind of like the death thing. Um, I kind of like the death, the, that is the, the Namo thing, the Reaper idea. Um... um Unaffiliated is kind of cool, but I also kind of feel like an unaffiliated Maya is kind of a wasted opportunity. I mean, you know, Dave, exactly like you were suggesting, it's really fun to think about, like, what an evil version of a Maya of Valar X is like. Like, that's a really fun exercise, and I would hate to deprive us of that if we don't really need to. So, uh, I mean, like, we have textual reasons not to do that with, like, Ungolian, for instance, right? Like, we know Ungolian's a free agent, so we stick with that. Um, but um, but if we don't have a reason to not do it, I'd want to do it, right? So um, I do think that we should save Nienna. Um, what we've done with her... I mean, obviously, 
we we have the incidents, the Thorin Gwethel incidents that we've worked into the story all along as more or less fixed points. There have been a couple occasions when we've been like, maybe we can go back and edit that in season four or something. But we don't want to make a habit of that, right? We we wanna we wanna play the Tolkienian retcon game and take our established our our written texts as established data points and work around them, right? That's what Tolkien shows is more fun. So um, at least that's what Tolkien found more fun himself. So that's how that's how we'll do it too. So we have those fixed points already and I don't see anything in the story of her as we have them her um, her spying, her, um, uh, her, uh, you know, her cunning and intelligence. Like, n- nothing there really kind of screams Nienna to me, right? Whereas, again, I can see both dream connections through her in the sorcelment of, uh, of, of, of Anile, especially. Um, and then also her, um, uh, the death stuff with Nama being able to use that, even to use her as a kind of inspiration uh, for, or at least kind of facilitator um, in some sense of Sauron's necromancy brainwave, right, in episode one uh, of this season. Um, uh, So, um, yeah, yeah. Now, you're right, um, uh, you're right, Mike, that uh, we don't have, we have more, we actually have more known evil, uh, we, we have a few evil ally Maiar and no known good ones. Um, yeah, uh, Maole, Aule folks uh, go to the bad at a pretty sharp rate, as far as we know, right? I'm sure he had more than two, uh, but the two that we know best went bad very emphatically. And then, of course, you get Fanor in there again, giving, like, smiths and makers a bad name, right? right. So it's yeah. it's hard. And then, of course, you've got Aule's own little misadventure, uh, right, with the creation of the dwarves. So, um, Aule yeah. Is the, Aule is the house Slytherin of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, but yeah, let's 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 keep her with the fan tourie. I think that that one of those two works best. Um, any maybe since we're doing the necromancy thing, it would be well. Let me let me ask this: Do we think that would be better? Or well, okay, all right. Hang, hang on, I keep refining my question. Do we think it would be better, or like it would enhance, or it would distract detract from the necromancy thing, um, if it's not Sauron's own insight? But if Thuring Wethel's whispering into his ear, like you know, I've got an idea, um, you know how you could manipulate this? That would lower Sauron a little bit, right? Because it would. But this leads me to another question, which of course is a big question that people have been discussing on the discussion boards: Should there be a rift? of any kind between Thurin Gwethel and Sauron. She's been loyal to him, right? She has been his most dependable, um, you know, she's been his number one from pretty much the beginning of his independent plot lines um, ever since he was successfully seduced by Melkor in season one. Um, But uh, are we going to show her like true to the end? and dying faithfully in Sauron's service, or are we going to have a division there? And of course, one of the things... um, Remember, Tolkien himself pointed out that Sauron's fidelity, at least for a time, to Morgoth, was 
his only redeeming point, <laughs> right? Like he was only less evil than his master in that for a while he served another instead of himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be a little careful. We, Thorin Gwethel's not a good guy, right? So like selfless, selfless devotion to Sauron's cause would seem counterindicated, right? And that's all we've shown from her so far. So it seems to me if we're going to, if we are going to introduce, this is why I do sympathize with the idea of saying we need to introduce some tension between Thorin Gwethel and Sauron because it can't, it can't be love and roses all the time or one or both of them are being too good. Right. You know, they're like, this is, and this is a classic problem, right? Um, A classic problem in trying to depict consistent and convincing good guys and bad guys is like bad guys, you know, don't cooperate well, right? I mean, it's especially within, you know, Tolkien's ethos, the whole, you know, the desire to elevate yourself and to dominate others. This is like one of the defining things that, um, um, that, that, um, sets apart the bad guys. So, um, uh, yeah. I do think we should, yes. Anyway, it it does seem plausible that they would quarrel to some extent. Oh, yeah. The reason that Theron Glethel has been so interested in Sauron's career thus far is that she's wanting to know everything there is to know about everything. Like that's her interest in life. Yes. And the Balrogs weren't doing that for her. <laughs> right. So right. Supporting Sauron gave her more opportunities. So it was self-interest from the beginning of mm-hmm. backing the person that would give her the opportunities she wanted. And right. we've seen that play out that she likes what has happened with all of his plotting. Right. Right, and and would that her... come to an end though? Would it cut right. to the point where he's no longer doing anything for her? Like, what have you done for me lately? Kind of, thing. or that her own ambitions become larger or more independent, and yeah, begin to diverge from his exactly, mm-hmm. um, such that uh, being his faithful number one no longer is getting her to where she wants to go. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I agree. Sauron's whole approach, right? Um, Sauron also has been interested in knowledge, right? Um, through knowledge to increase his own power. This is, we saw this, of course, we were emphasizing this first, and um, uh, I think most prominently in the whole orc st- storyline, right? Um, his approach to corrupting elves, his scientific approach to corrupting. Scientific is a word we have used several times about Sauron, um, especially in his approach to um, his approach to the elves, um, where, or, yeah, the, the elves whom he was corrupting uh, into orcs, or not orcs, that was not his plan, right? Um, and then we've shown the difference between the, the kind of rough and raw domination that Melkor um, wields uh, and used to make the orcs. Um, so Thorin Gwethel went to Sauron. That's the period of time 
when during his ex- while Morgoth was imprisoned, right, is when Thuringwethel and Sauron got together, um, and sh- at the, you know the, at that point it was just Gothmog and Sauron, right? Those were the only two options. They were clearly the two strongest of the villains left in Middle Earth when uh, Morgoth was imprisoned, um, and to Thuringwethel it was clear. Um, maybe Gothmog would have used her as like a battlefield scout. Right, he would probably have seen the value um, there, but I mean, it's nothing like what Sauron was doing and was willing to do. Um, and even the way in which he was, his plan, she has been completely on board with and a key player in his plan to sow dissension among the elves rather than merely to destroy them, right? Why? Well, because she doesn't want to just destroy them. She wants to, here we take that, uh, the spy, like, what does spy, what do spying and, like, vampirism have in common, right? Both of them are about, like, sucking them dry, right? She wants all of their knowledge, right? She wants to know what they know. She wants to, um... Um, uh, but she wants it for herself. Again, like her idea of learning is not like to study at someone's feet and have a positive master-student relationship, right? Um, her vision is of like, you know, leaving the dead, desiccated victim behind and being full of the, you know. So it's actually like slightly Ungoliant-esque, right? Except spiritual instead of physical, right? You know, knowledge instead of light. Um, uh, again, I'm not saying it's, it's exactly like Ungoliant, but it's, 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 it's kind of in that direction. Her hunger for knowledge is kind of like Ungoliant's hunger for light. Um, that would track, that would make sense, I think. Um, so could we, hmm, is there a potential model here? Thinking about the falling out between Melkor and Ungoliant, right? Could there be a point at which she wants something that he doesn't want to give? Could it be the what if it's what if it's the well of souls? What if it's the what if it's the cauldron of evil uh, in the basement? What if what he does to imprison um, the souls is the thing? It's her idea, the necromancy thing, right? You could, um, you could harness, you could enslave and harness these elf souls and use them for your own power and knowledge. I was emphasizing last time that, of course, necromancy, the word necromancy means divination by the dead, like gaining knowledge from the dead. It's about gaining knowledge from the dead. Yeah, no, this is totally it, right? Yeah, I, I think I think we have it. I think we have the clear premise, especially if she is a fallen Namo um, uh, Maya, right? They would where they would differ is what we do with the trapped souls, right? Sauron wants to dominate them under his will and use them to augment his own power and what he can do. She wants to, and maybe she thinks, maybe the reason she suggested that he entrap them is that he's like, okay, uh, again, 
this this I'm actually I'm like 100% in the Mandos camp now cuz this works really well, right? She knows the Mandos project, right? She knows what's supposed to happen with these elf souls, right? And what is supposed to happen? They're going to get taken back to Mandos and they're going to get in, they're going to be instructed, they're going to be healed, right? They're going to be uh they're going to be you know, healed uh sort of psychologically, healed spiritually, um um, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna gain, right? What does she want to do? She wants to suck them dry, right? She wants to decrease. Them. She wants to, instead of giving to them and healing them in the way that Mandos is gonna do if they come over to Mandos, she wants to trap them here so that she can take from them instead of giving to them, right? Um, to use them as a resource for herself um, to accomplish her end. Which, if uh, Ungoliant's mission statement, right? Um, is a glut uh, of light, right? You know, to, to eat the entire universe until she is swollen so great that the universe can't sustain her anymore. If that's, if that's Ungoliant's mission statement, right? Thurin Gwethel's mission statement is similar. She wants to, to, to have all the knowledge, right? She wants herself to, to, to bring into herself everything that everybody else knows. Mm-hmm. Until, like, her intellect is, is swollen so great that the universe can't sustain it. Like the great bag of, uh, like, her brain is like the gut of Ungoliant, right? Kinda, right? All right, okay, a little bit. Yeah. All right, okay, okay. So, she wanted to suck them dry, right? She wants to, you know, interrogate them, but it's, it wouldn't be like an interview process that she would be happy, right? But she was hoping thinking, planning, that if she helped Sauron to trap these dudes, that she'd get them, right? So we could have a parallel scene to the withholding of the Silmarils from Ungoliant, right? Where she comes to Sauron and is like, and now, according to our agreement, give me them, or at least some of them, right? Um, So that I can do what I want to do. And Sauron's like, no, they're mine. Right, they're mine. I'm keeping all of them, and I and I, I and I want to preserve. I don't want them diminished. Right, I don't want you to suck them dry. I want them to remain full of like vitality and power that I can draw on and increase myself. Because Dave, this is one of the things that we talked about last week when we were. Um, I was thinking about how Sauron can be thinking of his necromancy plan as going in a different direction from Morgoth. He sees Morgoth distributing his own life. Right pushing himself out, his own spirit out into all of his creatures. And he is watching Morgoth decrease, right? He's looking at him from the side and being like, yeah, this is, this is bad, right? Look at him. He's a shell of his former, former self already, right? This is not the way. So instead he finds, and this is why the necromancy thing is such a breakthrough for Sauron, because this is where Sauron says, okay, instead of pushing my spirit out into others, I'm going to draw other spirits into myself, right? I'm going to augment my power instead of diminishing it the way that Morgoth is doing. And yeah, there's a, you know, short-term game for a short-term gain for Morgoth, right? He's able to empower his creatures and make them stronger, and they're therefore able to accomplish his ends, and he's able to dominate them more thoroughly. Sure, that's all great, but big long-term loss, right? As Sauron sees himself, him, Morgoth, diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. And of course, we know eventually that's where Sauron's going to go, right? But that's, it's going to be a tragedy when that happens, right? It's going to be tragedy when he finally does walk down the same path, when 
Yeah, I was Circum- going to say, how does, he, how does he go from this to the making of the ring? In over the course of about 15 seasons is <laughs> how he gets there. <laughs> That's how. But remember, Sauron has a longer character arc than any other character in the entire show, right? There are only two characters who are going to span at least 90% of the show, right? And that's Goadriel and the Sauron. Um, But Sauron is the main one, right? He's the only one who goes from the very beginning to the very end. Um, Well, I'm kind of, I'm wondering, like, uh, I'm wondering if, is is the ring, is the one ring, is that kind of a, is that a change in perspective or a refutation of, um, of, of this earlier project? Or, or can we come up with somehow how this is this is a step in that direction? The ring is like a rip. It's like yeah. version 2.0. Of like, right. You know, well, I'm going to strike this, this balance between these two perspectives. Just as he dominated the spirits of the dead elves, right, uh-huh. with his yeah. cauldron of evil in the basement, right? Um, so he threw the ring. And, of course, we're deliberately making the... Like, the there will be a like a ring of runes around the edge of the call. It's going to, it's going to evoke the ring of power. Like um, those who know the Lord of the Rings can, should be able to look, it shouldn't be, it's obviously not going to be, it's not going to like, it's going to be the same script, right? Like one cauldron to rule them all. Like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be anything <laughs> like that. And yet like it, it will clear, like people who know the Lord of the Rings are, should look at this and say, mm-hmm. ah, this is the, this is the alpha project. Right. This is the Alpha Project that eventually he's going to develop into the Ring of Power. But and you see how we... Go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder, adding on top of that, um, I wonder if you can allude... You can point in that direction, too, by, by sort of drawing a parallel with uh, Celebrimbor in that he uh, bar- steals somebody else's ideas and knowledge. And then maybe part of what happens with the cauldron is he goes off and does it himself and does not doesn't uh doesn't bring Thurngwethel along doesn't she doesn't help entirely a sour it's a sauron solo project and she might feel like he was stealing her gig right yeah. that's also possible and when, and when she finds right. out she gets mad if they work together on the necromancy thing and raising an army of dead spirits or whatever and they take Tulsirian. And so she's like, yeah, we're both in this together. And then she goes off and does something else. And when she comes back, there's this cauldron in the basement that she didn't know about. And the whatever rooms of power are written around it are like Sauron's property only. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and she can't she get in. She can't get bit, access to them. Yeah. Right. She might feel a little betrayed in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. And it will become clear to her that he is not going to share. Right, that he has to. This was a collab, supposed to be a collaborative project, and um, yeah, though I, the idea of though it is a little bit attractive, Dave, as you were suggesting, to think of uh, not this as a collaborative project gone wrong, right? That he like um, that Sauron has gone all Mark Zuckerberg on the on the necromancy project, right? Um, but um, it's <laughs> sorry, probably a dangerous parallel to make, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but at the same time, oh, but, but again, alternatively for it to be like a stolen technology story instead, right? That like th- he learns this from her and then he adapts it and takes it and she doesn't realize that he's going to, and then she's like, this was my gig, right? This was what I, like he could oversee her, um, 
capture, like she could ensnare one of the souls of the dead, and he oversees that or something. But I kind of like the collaboration thing. Like if if there's like betrayal or per- perceived betrayal involved, I think that's stronger. Not to mention more efficient, right? Um, it makes it because we're not going to have a lot of screen time for this, right? I mean, come on, Sauron and Thurin Gwethol. We have a lot to do in the Baron and Luthien season. Baron and Luthien are going to need a lot of screen time, right? Um, we're not going to have a whole lot of minutes to show, um, you know, a lover's quarrel between uh, not a lover's quarrel. They're not lovers. I should have mentioned or should have recapped that we've decided from the beginning not to make Thorin Gwethel sexy, right? She's not oh going to be wearing, uh, you know, like close fitting leather unitards or anything like that. Um, uh, she, we, 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 we wanted her to be a non-sexualized character um, uh, in the story. That was a thing that we decided way back. Um, and, um, so no feminine wiles involved in any of Thurin Gwethel's plots. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Uh, so yeah, so I say lover's quarrel totally metaphorically. Anyway, the falling out between Thurin Gwethel and Sauron, um, if there is a sense of betrayal there, it would be quicker. It would be easier and quicker to show that in the very limited time that we're going to have to show that, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think I would go for that. Um, I would go for that instead. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, Okay. Sorry, Nick, you're right. It's the tub of evil. I forgot about the tub of evil. That's that was that was Nick's phrase for it last time. The tub of evil of of evil in the basement. Um, uh, Yes. Yes. I, I was, I was, uh, I, I think um, if we go with the collaboration gone wrong um, direction, that, that can also, that can once again tie into the one ring. It could, Sauron can take, Sauron's can take away from this as like no more working together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, oh, and yeah, and sorry, we, we didn't kind of finish the ring of power discussion. Um, a couple of people are pointing out like the obvious differences between what he does with the ring and what he's doing here with the tub of evil. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, uh, how's the tub of evil going to work out for him? Right. That is going to backfire in a spectacular way. Right. Um, so when he goes back to the drawing board after this alpha project, right, he's gonna, he's going to see, all right, in, on the drawing board, this whole idea of like increasing my power by sub- subjecting others instead of was a good idea, right? And let's see how we can work with that, right? But that spectacularly did not pan out. So maybe I mean he he we are going to need to bring him by gradual steps to the point where by the third age he's doing exactly what Morgoth did and he is spending himself and lessening himself um, through domination of the orcs and uh, also uh, what he's having to do uh, to sub- to subject the Haradrim and I mean there's a lot of power he's going to be distributing and of course the ring of power itself is going to be the turning point right when he comes to the this is the cool thing um, I was going to say Amazon people pay attention, but it's 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 too late. It's already in the can, so we'll see if they got this right. But the forging of the Ring of Powers. This is a crisis point for both sides, right? This is a crisis point for Celebrimbor, of course. It's it's like a, a critical decision, right? Um, that Celebrimbor makes, which backfires on him spectacularly. But it's a turning point for Sauron too, right? This is like that's the turning point in Sauron's career. 
the forging of the Ring of Power is the turn, and the whole Rings of Power gambit with Celebrimbor and his forging and his decision to forge the Ring of Power. That's the turning point in his career. That's when he is, from that point on, it's all downhill for Sauron. Like, um, uh, that is the tragic moment, right? The tragic fall of Sauron. Uh, I mean, he's already fallen, right? In one sense of like joining the bad guys and becoming evil. But where his trajectory turns and starts to decline, really, is at the forging of the Ring of Power. I think like in the middle of the Second Age. That's when it's over for Sauron. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it's a different idea. It's, it's, it's connected. We can see lots of connections, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of relations and ways that we can relate the necromancy thing to the ring of power thing, but it's not at all the same. And that shift in policy is ultimately Sauron's undoing, right? That's, that's the tragedy that leads True. him down into the void. That backfires even more than this one. Even more than this one, right? But um, not as quickly, <laughs> though, right? It has a longer life, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, Sauron's stuff always backfires. Yeah, Footnote. He has a bad all, all bad guys' plots all eventually backfire. Like, that's never not true. When is that not true? It's always not. It's always true, right? Um, uh, but, uh, I mean, like, every every evil character in in Tolkien ultimately undoes himself, right? I mean, Ungoliant, who at last ate up herself, is like the, the paradigm. Like, she's like the, the, the platonic form of what happens to bad guys in Tolkien, right? Every single one of them does that. Whether it's Gollum, whether it's Saruman, whether it's Grima, whether it's Sauron, whether it's Morgoth, all of them. Everybody does this. But now... Notice one of the corollaries of what I was just saying, which I thought was a digression, but watch how cunningly I bring this into relevance to today's discussion. His defeat by Luthien and Huon is not the turning point of his career. That is, I think that his, his story arc is still ascending after his defeat. Like, it's a setback, right? It's like a local trough. In, you know, he doesn't have a smooth rise, right? But this is not, it's not like, it's, it's not all downhill for Sauron after, you know, he meets Luthien and her dog, right? Um, this is part of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a rocky point. Um, but this is still part of his, it's not until he forges the Ring of Power that things are all, that things are all going to change. Um, so I, that's just one thing that I would put forward for when we're not there yet, we still need to focus on Thorin Gwethel, but when we get to the point of thinking about what happens to Sauron afterwards, right, where does he go, and all that kind of question, I think we have to remember, he's still he's still on the make uh, here for some time. This is a setback, and a fairly spectacular setback, but um, yeah, okay. So, um, I, Mike, what a wonderful question. In the case of Thorin Gwethel, how does she backfire? What a wonderful way to focus this. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, her greed for knowledge, which is going to set her at odds with Sauron. Okay. So if, she, if there's this betrayal, this perceived betrayal of Sauron, right? Um, or by Sauron, rather. Um, What would she do? She could try to steal the souls from him in some way. Hey, what if Thorin Gwethel's interference or attempted interference helps to show 
to the viewers what will happen if you set the prisoners free. She's going to try to set them free. Not because she desires their freedom, but because she wants to steal them. She can try to break into the tub of evil, right? She can try to burgle the tub of evil is what she's going to do, right? Um, uh, <laughs> grand theft, de- you know, uh, dead elf, right, is what's going to... What was that? Deadway. That was the name of the, the elf uh, 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 that we, de- we decided... Um, Dave, that we were going to have Deadway uh, uh, be the, uh, the 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 red shirt elf. Well, post red shirt, really. Um, I don't know what color even of shirt one wears when one shows up dead at the beginning of the season. But um, uh, but anyway, so so when Deadway, our 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 token dead Noldor, right? Um, she's going to try to steal him, right? Not him. After him personally, but she can try. So she's gonna. So he, she would try to burgle it, and she, and he would stop her, right? So and again, like I'm not saying we do like a really overwrought thing of like you know like no, like you cannot break like the runes or else like this is exactly because if anybody did that, this is exactly what will happen. I mean, obviously that could be done in an extremely hokey manner, and we wouldn't do that. But again, like. If we wanted to m- introduce the idea of the peril, right, um, to let the viewers know that the tub of evil, which is the center of Sauron's newfound power, is also the weak spot, right? The potential self-destruct mechanism that could bring everything literally crashing down, right, if something happens with it. I mean... That could just happen. I mean, Luthien could set them free and they bust out and the whole tower explodes. And I think that that could be satisfying enough without previous explanation. But the idea that Sauron has himself, through the power that he has gotten, created the opportunity for his own downfall seems like a thing we might want to signal in some way. And so a potential, um, a potential burgling... Or attempted burglary, right by uh, by Thorin Guethel, mm-hmm. could be a way to. But I'll leave how that might be handled in the hands of uh, better script writers than myself. I'm, I'm very um, excited for some for, for some like Indiana Jones like uh, <laughs> yeah, right action scenes here. <laughs> Thorin Guethel sneaking in and yeah. and getting past the the like booby traps and spears and darts and things. I mean, yeah. There's a reason I'm calling it the Well of Souls instead of the Tub of Evil. Yes. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was right. not lost on me, Maria. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Um, All right. So we're getting close to, but have not yet arrived at the answer to the question, how does she die and who kills her? Because it's beginning to look like Sauron might kill her. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, if she is not only not useful anymore... But now an act, she's, you know, she has been one of his greatest assets, so, you know, to date. But if she is now working against him, right, um, he could get rid of her or seek to get rid of her. So he would choose the power of his captive souls over someone who has faithfully served him for many years at 
this point, like we're going to show him making that decision. Well, first of all, first of all, significant step yeah, for well, him. First of all, he totally. Would. I mean, again, like, what is he loyal? Is he going to be like, oh no, I'm going to put the well-being of my number two over my own power? Like, no, he's not going to do that, right? So if it's a choice, but because remember, there's a direct conflict here. His choice is not just like. Do I, you know, screw her over or do I not screw her over, right? His question is, like, she wants this new power source that I have found. Like, this thing which is going to make me, um, you know, because this is the prototype, right? Oh, man, like, I'm going to build a bigger one. I'm going to I'm gonna get the giant swimming pool of evil, right? And, and it's going to be awesome. Like, he's got plans. Um, and she's now working, working against him there yep. right so she's so become she, a liability right and not only a liability she's like she's actively attempting to undermine his power play right she's in she's in a rival now um to what uh, so it's it's to him it would be the success of his plan his necromancy plan or thurin Gwethel. it would be an act of self-sacrifice of sauron to remain loyal to her and he's not going to do that right but um, but anyway, so, but I do agree, I would love an element of Thorin Gwethel bringing about her own destruction. I don't just want him to execute her or something boring like that, you know, being like, you know, then, my dear, you must die, right? Like, we don't need uh, something like that. Um, you know, like the Bond villain turns on his you know, beautiful female assistant moment or like, uh, yeah, anyway, you know, we don't need that. Um, but, but they're going to be antagonists to each other now. Like they're going to be rivals. He's going to see her as a rival. Um, how would she end up bringing about her own destruction? She could destroy, but see, I, I don't think she can destroy herself at the well of souls. Right, because if the tub of evil destroys, like the tub of evil, like is in a binary state. Right, either it remains intact and his power source remains operational, or it is broken and the tower is destroyed. I, I don't. I think I don't see a third way where she like cracks it and you know it gets blasted like the you know Nazis in the. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark yep. or something like that, right? Like, I don't see that. Would, would she attempt her theft while he's distracted with Luthien at the gate? Ooh. Because if so, having the thing explode in her face is now an option. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So she's there trying to figure out how to get into that sucker, right? And then it blows up in her face, right? Yeah, now... There is the potential issue of, um, I, I saw people asking questions about like, what, how do we preserve her pelt <laughs> in this case, right? How, how can we still keep her cloak around? It uh, When we say explode, right? It doesn't have to be like a flaming explosion, right? I mean, it's a burst of energy, Um we can decide what it physically, like what it does to her. And besides, what does it even mean to say what it physically does to her? She's a spiritual being, right? Yeah, it's more nuclear reaction, less explosion. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, this is an issue with her anyway, 
Does she have a body? I don't think she has a body. Draugluin has a body because Draugluin is a werewolf, right? Draugluin is a Maya spirit that Sauron has spliced together with a physical wolf, right? So there remains a physical wolf carcass when Draugluin dies, which can be skinned and used as camouflage, right? Um, uh, but I don't think Thorin Gwethel has a body. I think she's just a Maya who's physically manifested. Right. So what gets left behind is her magic cloak. Her cloak. Which, when you put it on, turns you into a bat, I guess. It, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, so. Or at least that's what it does for Luthien. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, so we could say only her cloak is physical, that her, you know, her cloak could be, and we don't have an origin story of her cloak, right? So we have no way to communicate this um, unless we do some her using we've shown her we, we, using. yeah like we have shown her she's using wearing the cloak and then she turns into the bat and yeah like right so I mean it could be and we've made it deliberately batty right and you know we've 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 definitely played that up before um, so if this is an actual physical garment which she has like infused with some of her own power um, in some way right like to uh, to it it's like the bat cloak of power, little, little power. Anyway, whatever. She's in, she's 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 empowered this cloak in some way, but it's a physical cloak, so it's left behind, right? Because like other Maiar physical Maiar, right? Maiar in physical form who are killed. We have precedents for this, right? Plenty of those. Um, the physical body is. I mean, remember Saruman. Right? Remember what happens to Saruman at Bag End. Um, his body collapses and crumbles and his spirit rises up and then is dismissed. Right. Um, so presumably something like that is what would happen to no matter what her cause of death was. Right. Um, physical cause of death. That's what would happen to her carcass. Um, it wouldn't leave a carcass uh, because no corpse remains because she doesn't have a real body. Um, but her cloak could be real. So in that sense, I don't think, um, um, and yeah, Hey, see Kanji, uh, Kanji DO4 was just thinking exactly the same thing I was thinking about the, in the, there we go. See, yeah, just like the ring of power. Exactly. See, so that's two of us. We totally agree. It's the bat cloak of power that nobody talks about. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, yeah. So t- I'm not pushing on that too hard. Uh, but the point is, um, yeah, it's a physical cloak. So, so however she dies, her cloak remains behind. So all that has... But what does have to happen, Marie, and this is still a problem with her having the well of souls blow up in her face, is that her cloak would then certainly be buried under all of the rubble. So unless we have the well of souls itself clearly visible... Right. Um, we'd have to manage the destruction, the blowing up of the tower in a particular way. It couldn't just collapse down onto the, it would have to like, be blown up and fall over. Anyway, like it, the Well of Souls would have to be exposed with her cloak sitting there in order for Luthien to find it. Um, um, we do we also, that. we can manage that. We do have Baron buried under all that rubble, but that's okay. We can work that out. Um, we can work that out. Um, 
there's lots of ways in which we could work I'm that out. I'm quite confident that there's a dome ceiling in the basement of Tulsarian. It's fine. It, it'll be structurally yeah. sound despite totally. the collapse yeah. of the rest of I the I mean, power. obviously, yeah. obviously, Finrod would have built like a fallout shelter in the sub-basement of, of uh, you know, Minas Tirith, so clearly. Um, uh, and that's where you would store your deepest, darkest prisoners, right? Uh, like, if you had a captive elf lord of very significant power, right? You'd keep him down in the fallout shelter, right? Um, um, okay, we'll work on that when we get to Baron and uh, Finrod in the basement. Um, but, I, but I'm not worried about that. I, that's, there are lots of ways in which that's manageable. Um, but so, Nick, I can see, of course, yeah, I do see the point that the cloak can survive in the same way that Baron does, but my point is that it can't survive in the same place that Baron does. Like, it can't be... You know, um, I don't think we can you know, actually have them. was in prison next to the Well of Souls. Next to the Well of Souls. Yeah, I don't think they're in the same room, you know. Uh, so we either have, it's fine. Like, in order to preserve it, we'd have to preserve two locations, which is possible. We could, we could, we could do that. Um, but what are other options? With this storyline that we've been developing here, this... Um, the particular quarrel, this uh, betrayal, one of the other, by Sauron and Thorin Gwethel. Um, the well of souls blowing up in her face, her desire for knowledge, um, you know, leading in that way directly to her own destruction and her own betrayal of Sauron immediately coming back to bite her. Um, both seem good. Both seem to work for me a lot. What we lose there is that it's not that he killed her. So if we yes. wanted a confrontation between the two of them where he directly kills her, then that's not happening in this scene. Could he ominously foretell her death? Could he threaten her and say that he, like, if she does this, she will surely Touch die? Touch again will... and you, you yourself shall be thrown into the fires. Of Something, like Something like that. Something like that. In that in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, in that direction. Um, but something that sounds like a, a personal threat, like if you try to do this, I will kill you, um, which could lead like the viewers to expect a, co- a final confrontation between the two of them, right? Um, but of course, that's not in fact how it um, how it turns out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that that I think could be a sort of interesting and satisfying end of the of their conflict. One of the other advantages of this, too, though, is it could lead Sauron to feel smug about it afterwards. Right? Potentially. Like, see, look, Thorin Grethel got... She betrayed me and she got what was coming to her. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he didn't come off so well in the whole, you know, Luthien and Huon situation... But he did come out best in the in the conflict with Thorin Gwethel, right? He survived, she did not. And what's more, she died exactly like he said he was going to, she was going to, like, he, you know, he won. Like, he, he it, you know, his prophecy came true. Uh, his enemy was destroyed just as he said she would, she would be. Um, and uh, so, I mean, even from his point of view, Sauron's point of view, it would be a satisfying ending, 
to that, which again I think is a good thing. We want him. We he's going to need a little pick me up. He's going to need something to feel good about <laughs> after this, I think, because again we don't want a shattered and broken Sauron at the end of at the end of mm-hmm. this, um, humiliated, right? Uh, yes, um, uh, inconvenienced, um, uh, having lost massive quantities of face with the rest of the villains. Yes, but his own. Does, uh, Spirit is going to be unbroken. Does the um, does the the explosion <laughs> of the the call? So I'm wondering, like, what's what do we think? Um, what do we think if if Sauron's plot were revealed to Morgoth? How would Morgoth take it? And is there is there a possibility that one angle for Sauron is like at least at least all everything's covered up? Like, 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 uh, uh, Gwethel t- takes out Tol Syrian, uh, and destroys all the evidence. Um, <laughs> she can't, she's not there to tell anybody. So Sauron gets to move on it's, and, and he just, he's, he's like on to phase two. It's actually, that's actually really interesting. What would anybody know mm-hmm. of what happened? Like, would anyone understand the tower blows up, right? Luthien might have some insight into what happened, right? Mm-hmm. She will somehow sense or whatever the souls there, right? Um, we'll come back to this later because this involves how the fight with Sauron goes, Huon and Sauron and Lynn Luthien's confrontation, and like she extorts information from him, which enables her to destroy the tower. So there has to be that element there and we haven't fully I don't remember that we worked out that particular piece of it um, but let's um, let's come back to that later when we do that from Luthien's perspective I think um, but so with the potential exception of Luthien and possibly of Baron who would not really know firsthand at all what happened other than all of a sudden the ceiling is gone and I'm looking up at the stars now and, oh, look, it's Luthien um, and a very large dog. Um, so Baron has no idea what happened, though she could tell him. Um, Huan might have some insight into what happened. Um, hey, Huan might recognize Deadway. Um, but anyway, um, Huan would, might have some insight into what happened. Luthien would have some insight into what happened. But neither one of them has a very long career in which they're going to be spreading the news of this necessarily. By the time they're interacting with other people, either of them, Huan or Luthien, they've got bigger things on their mind, right? You know, we've got barons dying. We need to hunt Karkaroth, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there's this, the Silmaril is in play. Um, are they even talking about, you know... Oh yeah. Meanwhile, there was something weird going on in the basement in Tulsirion, and here's how that went down. And certainly among the bad guys, right? Sauron is clearly the only survivor of the, you know, the the fallout at Tulsirion, and he's not going to tell anybody any of it. He's not going to tell anybody either what he was doing and attempting to do because that was a power play. Remember, his idea is Morgoth is dispersing himself and weakening himself further and further. And he, if he can get, again, if he can upgrade, right, from the tub of evil to the to the wading pool of evil to the swimming pool of evil, right, to the, like, vast ocean of evil. I mean, if he can upgrade, he, he could surpass Morgoth. I would think that would be his ambition, right? 
So he's not going to tell Morgoth anything about this, right? Like, you know, like Ixnay on the Ecromancy Nay, right? Like, he's not going to breathe a word of any of that. He might get asked, right? I heard stories. Necromancy, dead spirits, what's going on? No, yeah, no idea what you're talking about. He's not going to tell anybody. And he's certainly not going to tell anybody what happened. So what are they going to know? They're going to know that they're going to see the wreckage, right? They might feel the rumbles. There might be witnesses who see from a distance the mushroom cloud, right, uh, where Talsirian was. And um, there's... There's. What are they going to think? What would they think? Would they think? Could he spin this? Would they think that the Valar had smitten it? That this was judgment from above? I mean, I know it seems unlikely because they don't seem to be in that kind of business. But, like, what else could do that? None of the Elf Lords could do it. I mean, if anybody could do it, it would have been Finrod, right? And he couldn't do it. He couldn't. I mean, Sauron beat him toe-to-toe. And Morgoth would know that Finrod couldn't do it. None of them could do it. Saruman's use of gunpowder? Yeah. A a, a step above what anyone's capable of or... Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, it's... What could have... All they will know... The bad guys will know... Sauron had established a new stronghold, and it was a great stronghold, right? I mean, it's now, like, it's still much lesser than Angband, obviously. Like, it's not a rival to Angband yet, right? Um, but it's, it's like another data point, right? This is not like a camp. This is not a, this is a, you know, Sauron is setting up for himself in a big way, in a critical strategic location, right? So from the villain's perspective, this is a really good thing. Gothmog is not going to like it, right? Because this is this looks like Sauron's doing well, right? He's achieving something here, um, which is going to undermine Gothmog. So here, Sauron, villain number two, or three, depending on if you ask Gothmog, um, has set up for himself this critical new bastion of evil, and then blammo. It is just destroyed as if by the fist of God. What are they going to think? They can't know that it's Luthien or think that it's Luthien because the very next thing we see the villains interact with Luthien, they have to completely underestimate her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the, not yeah, like... Exactly. Right? No one's going to look at it and be like, oh man, that's got Luthien written all over it. Right? <laughs> Luthien's on the loose, blowing up towers. Right? Look out for Luthien. Right? Yeah, I know you're right. No, no one can, like, Melkor certainly can't be thinking that way. Certainly can't. Or else he's not going to be like, oh, look, it's Luthien. Maybe I'll sit here and watch her dance. Right? Like, that's not, he's, you know, um, we can't have oh, anybody in Angband being like, look out, it's the blower up of towers. Who's here in Angband? We're all doomed. Right? That can't be their reaction. If anybody was going to react that way, it would be Melkor. He might be the only guy who would look and say, that was very impressive, and still still managed to underestimate her. It's possible. I, it's I, possible. I don't think the... I don't think the... I think... I don't think you... I don't think they would all look and say, oh man, that was definitely Luthien, but 
but people might sort of searching for an explanation might wonder and it might it might offer it might it might make her like a, an object of like not 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 necessarily just fear but also like fascination like is that fascination I mean, speculation this? what did she right. do you know like it, it seems to me like the idea that she might have done that might actually intrigue melkor and I, would melkor would he be secretly satisfied watching sauron's uh, tower blow up like i think he would probably be happy right? yeah i mean so i doubt that melkor feels threatened right in Sauron's own fantasies, I think he wants to rival Morgoth. But I don't think Morgoth feels threatened. No, I don't right? think he feels threatened, but I'm right. sure he like, would take a certain amount of schadenfreude from it. Like, watching, <laughs> right. even, knowing, even, knowing that, even knowing that his ambitions can't really endanger Melkor, he would probably nonetheless be happy to see those ambitions fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Um Yes. Oh, and as far as uh, uh, Nick was saying, Sauron didn't witness the fall of the tower. Oh, I think I think he should witness the fall of the tower. Um, we 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 can arrange that. Um, all he has to do is beat a tactical retreat from the situation with uh, um, with Huon and Luthien. There, um, he doesn't actually have to vanish over the horizon before the tower goes. Right. Um, I think that Sauron's move because his his center of power is still there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that he, he flees from a distance, and he's looking at the tower, and he's like, okay, um, all right, uh, plan B, right? If I can re-infiltrate, and then boom, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, plan C, I'm going to go somewhere else and start a new plan A right now because uh, it's time to sell my stock in Tulsirian. Um, uh, yeah, Uh I just thought of the only other person in play in Middle Earth who could be theorized as having that much power to it would be Melian. Melian, right? And that, given Luthien's involvement, it seems plausible. Right. Is so they might suspect Melian's. Like, did Melian come and do this? I mean, like, if Finrod couldn't do it, who could? Well, there is one of the good guys who's greater. Right, like by an order of magnitude than any of the elf lords, right? And that's Melian. But this could then lead to speculation about Luthien as well, right? Because she's an unknown variable. I mean, it's Melian's daughter. What do you get? What do you get, in fact? Literally, no one knows because this has never happened before. Luthien is unique, right? What do you get when you cross one of the greatest of the elf lords with one of the Maiar? Right. Um, So maybe again, I'm not saying that we show the boardroom villain discussion of the Tulsirian fallout. Right. So um, satellite photograph has detected. Right. The uh, um, the wreckage where Tulsirian used the smoking crater where Tulsirian used to be. Any theories as to what on earth happened to Sauron and is it because he's not around? I don't think he goes limping back to Angband for sure. So he's not around to participate in this discussion, right? Um, so they're speculating. So, so I'm imagining here, and again, we're not depicting this scene, but I'm imagining, right, Morgoth and Gothmog and um, uh, Glaurung and maybe, you know, Bulldog sitting around a board table, you know, a conference table talking about this, what happened at, uh, at Tulsirian. Somebody would suggest Melian, right? None of the Elf Lords could have done this. It must have been Melian. And then somebody would be like, or 
that daughter of hers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, concerning which there would be might be rumors that she's on the loose, right? Um, so that would pique his interest. He wouldn't know what she could have done or how she yeah. could have managed this, right? And so that could explain why he doesn't just smite her or whammy her when she shows up, right? When he's like, let's see, what is, what's she got anyway, yeah. right? Like, let's, let's see. Let's, cause again, he's not threatened. He's not going to fear for himself, right? He's going to be like, let's, yeah, let's see. Let's see what it she's got. So he's going like to give her enough rope to, to hang yeah. herself is his approach to. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, exactly. That's a very, exactly. that is, that does seem in character with him. And this is, have you noticed, Marie, how this also gets us out of the simple prurience reading of his watching her dance, right? Um, we have more than uh, uh, some kind of uh, more Gothian sexual arousal to explain uh, the the spectation of Luthien dancing. So that's a freebie. <laughs> that's a freebie in this in this plot line. But okay. Sauron, though. Okay. Well, we can figure out the survival of the... It, so, so are we going with the well of souls blows up in her face? Cause of death for Thurin Gwethel? I like it. Um, yeah. One other... One other... One other... Uh, one other possibility... I can toss out here. Okay. Uh, that might might help with the uh, the pelt problem too. Uh, what if the uh, the the well blows up in Thurngwethel's face? She survives. She escapes, and then Sauron comes across her and finishes her off. After they've both been defeated, right? Yeah. So she's like a shattered wreck, crawling away, and he's a shattered wreck, bleeding from the throat. Right, yeah. you know, holding, you know, holding in his his uh, his his juggler, right, uh, and trying to keep from bleeding out, and uh, and he offs her, yeah, right. Could work. I mean, there's a certain visceral satisfaction in it, you know, the final. Um, uh, <laughs> Nick says it's an evil version of Hurin and Morwen. <laughs> Oh, that's horrible, Nick. <laughs> but yeah, what, what it provides is the opportunity to finish up that storyline. They right. see and confront one another. Right. Whereas if she was sneaking down there, well, he would he never even know. Elsewhere, yeah. He wouldn't have known she was there. So we wouldn't be able to like close the story with the characters. The, the audience would see and know what had happened. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. her choice that led to her death but it wouldn't be like him directly killing her other than whatever prophecy right. he would prophetic right. statement he would utter earlier so having a way to tie it up at the end and have him actively kill her yeah would, would change that yeah 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 no exactly oh no no mike of course horin doesn't kill morwin but that's the point like that's the good end that's the, the they're the good guys, you know. They, they they sit they sit sadly next to each other while she dies. Uh, that's why it would be a reversal. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Wow, Nick, thank you for that hideous image uh, of the anti-Huron in Morwen. But, um, uh, except they're meeting by the gravestone of their own ambitions, right? Um, <laughs> instead of of their children. Not their literal children. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I... Let me say this, Nick. I'm not sure that I would want to invest very much in that parallel, but let me just say that if the two of them sit next to each other in a similar posture to what Hurin and Morwin will eventually adopt, um, so that we have like a very subtle visual parallel going on there, except it ends with Sauron like throttling Thuringwethel or something, I wouldn't object. I wouldn't object. Um, um, yeah. Um, okay, good. Well, I think this show has already been a success, um, and not only just because I got to use the word prurience, um, which so rarely comes up in casual conversation, so um, that's a win all by itself. Uh, but um, but I think that this... Um, uh, I think that that works. We'll see... I, here I would definitely defer to the script writers if it like works out to do the the two of them meet uh and he kills her at the end um it does preserve her her um her cloak um even if that means her cloak is a little bit off you know out of the way but that's fine who I mean Huan can find that that's not hard and in fact Huan is the one who brings it to Luthien right so that actually tracks really well um that he comes back from scouting the perimeter and is like, uh, found this bat cloak lying there near a pool of Sauron's blood. Uh, not sure what went down there, but here's a, here's a bat cloak. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Who one wouldn't know where to look? Uh, but again, he's just, but he's got a very good nose, right? He would just be, he'd just be scouting and he'd, he'd, he'd smell it. He would certainly, one thing that Huan would certainly take upon himself, Huan is wise enough to know that Sauron probably did not just vanish over the horizon when he fled, right? He's not going to trust Sauron to have just fled. So while Luthien and Baron are having their touching reunion moment, right? Huan, uh, is going to take it upon himself to do something useful and give them some personal space. And he's going to go out and make sure that Sauron isn't lurking um, uh, and uh, arranging some kind of ambush. And in doing so, he is going to find the, the, he would find in this case, the bat cloak next to a pool of Sauron's blood, which is no longer there and drips, which vanish off into the, so then he would know that Sauron has in fact left um, and would inevitably find it there. Um, uh, when pursuing, when following the trail of Sauron, who would be leaving a trail on account of uh, bleeding, uh, bleeding from the neck, as is explicitly described in the text. Um, uh, I was going to ask if we're sure that Maiar in physical form can in fact bleed out. But yeah, that's how Saruman dies. So... I mean, he gets a throat cut, doesn't he? Yeah, Grima, Grima yeah. cuts his throat. So, 
um, clear precedence of the oak. I mean, Saruman's a different case. He's his body is presumably different, but um, it's a nice, little bit nice more connection. Incarnate. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, we still have we still have some neck wound precedence. Um, okay, I like that I like that I like the, the word choice, Marie. A little bit more incarnate. A little bit more incarnate, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yes. Okay. Um, concerning oh, which, still at the stage where he can change form. Yeah. Though, so, if you are interested in listening to me rant about Tolkien waffling on the point of the incarnation of the Astari in the nature of Middle Earth, tune in on Wednesday this coming week when I shall be ranting on that very subject. Um, uh, in slide number one of uh, of Wednesday's this coming Wednesday's discussion, um, I, I like completely face palmed when I read that passage in the nature of Middle Earth. I'm just like Tolkien, don't even go there. But anyway, we'll get there. Um, so, all right. That sounds uh, great. Yeah, yeah, it'll be <laughs> it'll be fun. That's why we're all here. Exactly, exactly. I just yeah. He had, we, we were doing great with beards and everything, and then here we go with the incarnation of the Istari. But whatever. Anyway, we're not talking about that now. Okay, so I think this works. I think this works. I think that if we, um, uh, I, I mean, there's a, there's a chance of the, uh, you know, Sauron throttling Thuringweth or, or, or however we play that. Um, as you know, as, I mean, there's definitely like some significant cheese potential there that we'd have to be cautious about. Uh, but I think it needn't. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be cheesy. Um, but um, so I, I think that we could probably manage. But but as I say, I'm happy to defer to the discretion of the uh, screenwriters, which is just as well as they will certainly take that discretion whether or not I leave that in their hands. So. Uh, <laughs> It's all good. I might as well submit to it from the start. Um, Okay. Yeah. This works for me. Let's... There's some Sauron questions that we can't answer. But let's... One last thing, just kind of where Sauron goes from here. I don't think he reports back in. I don't think he returns to Angband. He doesn't go dragon back to Angband. I think that his own pride would militate against that. I think he'd vanish. I think he'd go he'd go dark for a while. Um, but again, I don't think he feels himself to be defeated. It's, it's a setback, right? It's an embarrassing setback if anybody discovers the truth. But what he's going to do is he's going to go off somewhere else. He's going to think of a he's going to think of a plausible story, right? And then he's going to, um, and then he's going to uh, recover, right? Yeah. And the the suggestion that I've heard that I like best, what seems to me to best fit the bill, as an answer to the question. One of the big questions that we've been looking forward to asking for years now, what does Sauron do for the rest of the First Age after the Lay of Lathian, 
right? Um, because he vanishes from the published Silmarillion and is never heard from again until after the War of Wrath. Um, so we have, he is completely dark as far as the published text is concerned. Um, but obviously he has to be doing something. And um, I think the answer that I like best um, is that he is the one who is stirring up the Easterlings, that he, basically the, the whole, um, uh, the whole Ulfast plot is ultimately has its origin with him. Um, this is attractive for several reasons. One, it, it's a very Sauron-esque stratagem. Right? I mean, who else is going to have that plan? Right. That, that, that's it. that has our Sauron's fingerprints all over it um, to send over these false agents to lure Mithros into complacency and to, to use that to stick it to Mithros personally. I mean, that's even better. Right. From Sauron's perspective. And, uh, you know, and then like so train them up and recruit them and send them in as false agents. I mean, again, there's none of the other bad guys that we have developed. who That's a Sauron plot. If I ever heard one, our Sauron plot. Right. In the first age. So. It fits him really well. What's more, it's a fun precedent, right? Um, what's going to be his next plan? So his first plan in setting up on his own, now that he's made the decision, which we set up at the end of season five with his, um, the moment of Sauron's disillusionment when he watches the embarrassing spectacle of Fingolfin wounding Morgoth, right? This is the moment where Sauron says, how the mighty have fallen, Right, I can't follow this guy anymore. Look at this. Okay, he's limping for crying out loud. Right, I mean this guy is losing it. Right, I need to detach myself. I can do better. I can do better on my own. I maybe can even contrive a way uh, to rival Morgoth himself in time and take over as the big boss. Right, so he's in business for himself from the end of season five when he sees that. This is his first gambit. Tulsirian is his first gambit. It's local. It's like right there because he's cloaking it as, look, I'm playing for the team, right? Minas Tirith completely, uh, this is like the, the doorway to the rest of Beleriand, right? So like, look at me playing for the team. Now that I'm here in Tulsirian, there's free range for the orcs and um, look, everybody, including Gothmog, can be super grateful for what I've just done. Right. Um, he looks like he's playing for the team, but really he's setting up on his own. Well, that blew up well, not his face, in his underlings' face, but that worked out too. Uh, anyway, so that didn't work out. So what's his next plan? His next plan, I'm going to go over the mountains and I'm going to try setting... I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not giving up on the plan, right? The plan of setting up my own power because um, that actually, like, there were like, you know, there were pros and cons to be taken away. <laughs> doing, a, doing a full analysis, right, of the Tall Syrian experiment, of the, of the Tall and Gowerhoth experiment. It was... Um, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, it was on balance a failure, but there were definitely some things that we can build on, right, from that experiment. So, okay, we're going to go across the mountains and we're going to set and we're going to begin dominating kingdoms of men. Right. And again, this he's going to carry on doing this until finally he's going to get to Mordor and he's going to be dominating the Easterlings and the Haradrim. So, like, you know, this sets him on a familiar to us trajectory. Like it puts him down the road that we're going to want him eventually to go. So I think that that, um, um, I think that that could total. And of course, but he's not far. He's just on the other side of the mountains. Um, 
and he's going to keep a low profile for a while. But see, I think because I think what his plan would be is I can't go back now because I'm weakened and embarrassed. Right. But if I just vanish for a while and they don't know where I am and then I reemerge with like a new stratagem, which is going to pull their the villains biscuits out of the fire again, because Gothmog is being a moron again. Right. Um, and Bulldog is doing nobody any good. Um, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to save the day. Um, which, again, note how that tracks, right? Without the betrayal of Ulfast, the elves might have won the near Nith Arnoidiad, right? There you go. There's Sauron's contribution to the team, right? And here, and so the near Nith Arnoidiad will be the moment where he is, like, sort of restored to favor, where he's able to come back and be like, see, it was all part of the plan, boss. Right. Um, yeah, the whole Syrian thing didn't work out, but I rebuilt. Right. I took myself over to the other side of the mountain. I built up this. And now, look, we won the near knife, the near knife Arnoidiad. Thanks to me. Right. Um, but he doesn't. So at that point, after the near knife, he's kind of back in the game, but he can be low profile until then. Um, and anyway, so that's kind of my projection for Sauron um, and what that means for him later on. Um, uh, Nick has ideas about things he could be doing during the fall of Gondolin. Yeah, I can see him involved uh, in that plot as well, you know, in that moment as well, for sure. Um, uh, but anyway, it, it, this seems like a direction that he would go, which again, which fits with the text. Why does the text not mention him? Cause he's not there. He's not in Beleriand. Um, mm-hmm. And he wouldn't come back until the story in Beleriand is focused on other things, like Glaurung establishing himself as the Dragon King of Beleriand, for instance, right? Um, uh, that's a bigger deal. The Easterlings taking over Dor Lomen, that's a big deal, right? Um, so uh, Sauron doesn't enter the story again because he never again, until after the War of Wrath, plays a, an open role again. He's going to have to be further behind the scenes. But we can give him things to do then. Like that at mm-hmm. least gives us the opportunity Absolutely. To, to use him. Because if if he's only off screen for season seven and we're actually showing what he's doing off screen in some ways, then we didn't like drop him as a character. So yeah, I, I think that uh, has a lot of potential for this. Yeah, this is great. This is a great idea. It also, also provides some like some foreshadowing for the for Olfast instead of it just instead of like they just show up out of nowhere and are intrinsically deceitful yes, yes. yeah yes. Um, I mean we can get this means oh this means we can build a whole um, Easterlings arc into mm-hmm. season seven right yes. um, which is like the foreshadowing, the anticipation of what's going to be happening in Harad and yep. uh, and Rune, right? Yep. Um, it can be exactly the same. Once again, we can see, we can show Sauron learning from, this is the alpha version of that, right? Um, and so we can see when he does it again later on, he's going to do it differently and stuff, and he, he'll, he'll have learned some right. stuff. Right, because like, Boar's obviously not going to go along yeah, Gonzo. it's not a complete so, success. It's not a complete. Right. It, it pans out. It pans out. It, but it was it, does. it was it was a little too close for comfort as far as Sauron was concerned. 
Right. And the audience can maybe not know whether it's going to be Boar or Allfang who's going to yeah. cause a problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that, that gives us a really nice little subplot of season seven, um, where we, which enables us to keep Sauron right on screen, like very much involved in the whole arc of season seven. And yet he doesn't appear in Beleriand even once. Like as far as the people in Beleriand are, they have no idea. Um, because it's not even obvious that any of the elves would ever even find out. I mean, they might, some of, maybe somebody is still alive after the near knife who might suspect, but, Again, there's so much going on after the near eye. Who's even asking that question now? Um, um, Mythros, actually. Okay, Mythros might ask the question. Mythros might guess. Um, he is the one person who might figure it out. Um, but um, but he doesn't even have to. Again, he also has other things to think about. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Um, we don't... This doesn't mean, by the way, that we have to totally ditch... Um, uh, I know that he like goes to, in the book it says he goes to Taunufuan. He can do that. Um, but that brings us back around to the Taunufuan slash Dorthonian question, which we have not answered about Sauron. Um, which is the question of is Sauron involved in the hunting of Baron and to what extent? Um, because I'm not 100% it's hard. I'm of two minds about that. Um, well, I talked about, I, I, I think I, I gave the two minds of which, in which I was in last time, but we didn't, we didn't resolve that at all. Um, so next time we need to resolve that. We need to figure out, um, we need to figure out, uh, Gorlim, but, oh man, in order to figure out the Gorlim thing, we got to figure out the whole wraith issue. We've got some metaphysics to wrestle with before we can really resolve the Dorthonian situation. Maybe we can duck that temporarily and just focus on the Sauron angle and not the Wraith of Gorlim appearing to Baron angle and save that for later. Um, but anyway, so Sauron's involvement in the Baron hunting and the things that happened at Dorthonian, and is that or is that not connected to why he returns to that same area after his wounding, before he then hatched. Cause I, my, so my vision there is he, he can stay in, in uh, Taunufu in there for a little while, and it's there that he kind of regroups and uh, hatches his next plot, which is over the mountains, recruiting humans, and starting um, Operation Easterling. Um, uh, so yeah, so again, I'm, I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm just like, giving Tower Nufu and a miss and going straight over, you know, having someone going straight over the mountains. He can totally be there for a while. Um, we don't have to be in a rush. Again, we have, we're going to have like half a season or more between when he's, t- I mean, what's it going to be? Episode four, five at most that Sauron is going to be defeated. I mean, there's a lot still to happen. We've got to hold, do the whole building up of their relationship and, and, and of, uh, um, the, stuff with Kurafin and Keligorm and then going to Angband and then coming back from Angband and then reconciling with Thingol and then the hunt for the wolf and then the trip to Mandos and then after that. I mean, there's a lot still to happen after. So like, I'm not even sure that Sauron's, like the destruction of Tal'Syrian can be the midpoint of the season. I think it happens before. 
Did we say, did we decide last time, didn't we say what might be the midpoint of the season? I have a vague memory that we did, but I don't remember what it was. I thought it was the destruction of Was it the destruction? It might be. It might be. But we can figure out exactly where things fall as we get more of this sorted out. Because, yeah, there is a lot of opportunity for (laughs) story elements that we usually had to deal with. Yes, many elements that... Usually that, it's like, yeah. there's one big battle we have to fit in this season somewhere. And this one's right. like, so... Right. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, if we think of those kind of like battle scene, kind of like that kind of like conflict bursts out, right? These big moments, right? We've got... Um, well, I guess you... I mean, yeah, we've got uh, the conflict leading to the abdication of Finrod. That's even if we don't count the imprisonment of Luthien as one, right? So, we, um, but any, you know, I mean, by her father. <laughs> I mean, even before she's imprisoned, again, goes from cell to cell. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, the, and then we've got the 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 you know Finrod and Sauron battle, and then we've got the uh, defeat of Sauron, and then we've got Luthien and Morgoth, and then we've got and then and that's even not even to answer the question yet of. Um, whether we have um, uh, whether we have bulldog involved, but anyway, okay. So let's think about Sauron and Dorthonian for next time, and then speaking of next time, um, oh yeah, we, look at that. We had a slide that I forgot about, um, but um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, there were a bunch of people on the boards who were worried about what's going to happen, like what's happening with Sauron after the War of Wrath, and how what his like interaction with um uh you know his like repentance which may or may not have been genuine after the war of wrath and everything um i'm interested in a lot of those comments but the main thing i would say is dude we have years before we get there right there is so much story like sauron has a lot of arc still to go years worth of arc between now and when that happens so let's not <laughs> Let's, let's not be hasty. Let's not borrow trouble yet. Um, we will see where that will fit into his overall plot arc, um, his full run plot arc, because it is an important moment in his full run plot arc. Um, but um, but it's not for a long time. So let's 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 wait before we get too worried about that. Um, anyway, um, so questions for next time. As I said, first, Baron, Sauron, Baron, Dorthonian, um, what's going on? Who's involved? Who's involved? Who's responsible for the hunt for Baron and the whole Ilanel issue? Um, then also, I want to I segue from this to thinking about more of the bad guys. Are we going to do the attack on Doriath? If so, by whom, when, why, and what happens? Um, is Bulldog there? And if not... And if so, why doesn't he die? <laughs> and, you know, like these are all the questions that we that I have there. Uh, and, but in case you're wondering, attack on Doriath, what are you even talking about? It's in the Lay of Lathian. Um, in the Lay of Lathian, we are told in this actually kind of weird parenthetical passage, we're told like, meanwhile, elsewhere, there was an attack on Doriath and it didn't work. But anyway, back to Baron and Luthien. I mean, it's it's a strange kind of a side moment in the poem, uh, in the action of the poem. But anyway, um, so, and that's, by the way, where Bulldog, the character, comes from. 
Bulldog is invented in the Lay of Lathian, and his whole purpose of existing is to lead that attack uh, into 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 Doriath. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, we need to figure out: Are we doing that? Is Bulldog involved? What happens? Um, uh, and we need to know how that fits with Sauron's story. I mean, if there is an attack on Doriath. What's the timing of it? How does it connect with what's going on with uh, Sauron? Right? I mean, if, if, if Sauron is going to dominate the bad guy scene, the villain scene, in the first half of the season at least, um, we can't have a, an arbitrary... You know, again, and I, as I say, what, what does it show us about the state of the villains? Is this Gothmog? It's, it sounds like Gothmog. Let's assault. Right? That sounds like Gothmog, doesn't it? Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. And then, meanwhile, what's Glaurung up to? We haven't resolved the Glaurung situation. We need to get him out of out of out of uh, Helvorn. We need to get him. Um, but what do we do? We have nothing to do with Glaurung until the near ninth Arnudiad, right? Like as text wise, right? Text wise, he's he's invisible uh, from the Dagor Bragalach until the um, the near ninth. Um, so. How do we explain his non-involvement in this whole situation? Um, we need to, again, we don't necessarily need to show that a lot, but we need to, we need to figure it out. Okay, so that's where we're headed next. Resolving some, hopefully we can come to a place where we have a, a better sense of the overall flow of the bad guy stories, who's doing what, um, around, now that we have the central Sauron Thuringwethel plot more or less worked out. I think we can we can resolve the rest of it and then come back to think about some of the other issues and then get into the episode outlines and things. Um, I'm really tempted to kind of in the same way that we're doing with the bad guys go back and talk about you know Kelgorm and Kurafin and talk about Baron and Luthien and stuff. But I think we can actually save a lot of that for the episode discussions as we go through um, and just settle ourselves in these early sessions for, uh, in the preseason sessions for like answering big picture lingering questions that we really need to sort out before we can even know how to approach stuff. This bad guy plot line, these, these things really needed to be answered now. I think I don't, we couldn't have really moved forward without having any idea where we were headed here. But as far as the good, good guys go, we know where we're headed. Right. We, we know better than we've ever known in film film, the outline of the plot. Right. Um, so that doesn't need to be fleshed out preseason in the same way that the bad guys stories have needed to be fleshed out. So we'll finish the bad. Well, OK, let me not say something as blithely confident as we'll finish the bad guys next time, um, but we will make serious progress in the bad guys next time um, and then uh, see where we go from there. All right. Sound good, folks? Any any final thoughts or questions? No, sounds good. All right. Okay. Good. We did good work tonight. We did. We did good work tonight. I I, I, I like this. I think at, in the, at the end of the day, it might have been kind of satisfying to have Luthien kill Thuringwethel. But, you know, I the more I thought about that, the less I liked the idea of Luthien just killing folks. Mm-hmm. I don't think she does that, you no. know? I don't think she's nope. into combat. I don't think she's into, certainly into slaying things. Does she ever do that? I don't think she ever does that, right? No. So, um, 
so yeah anyway i, I think also 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 this is the this uh, we ha we need a we need to res we need to resolve the the personal the like like there there is interesting character drama with sauron and uh yeah and Gwethel that just doesn't exist with Ruthie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, she's got no beef <laughs> with Thorin Gwethel, right? And it's hard to... It would have been very difficult to try to manufacture some. Um, uh, so uh, so I like this. Okay. Um, anyway, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we look, our next session will be on January 27th. Uh, so two weeks, we're back on our regular schedule now. Should be, I think, for a little bit uh, moving forward. Um maybe even most of the way through February. So we might be on schedule here for several times in a row, which is, uh, which feels unusual after the holidays. But anyway, so looking forward to further discussion next time. Thanks as always to my co-hosts and to everybody who is joining us. It was a robust discussion on the, uh, on the live chat here tonight. And, uh, and I will say as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.